want to talk a little bit about uh, the power of your testimony today. And, and this message is born out of uh, the times in which we live. Um, and, and so uh, we talk about, of course, we know power has to do with strength, you know, ability, that kind of thing, and uh, capability. But here today, we want to talk about the power of your testimony. Your testimony is your witness. And actually, my wife and I used to uh, preach a lot in Switzerland. There was a little church we preached uh, at was called uh, Martus, which means martyr, martyr in the Greek, martyr. And that mean, meant that when you were a witness uh, that you were uh, for Jesus, you were likely to be a martyr. You were likely to be a martyr. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm a Christian, you know. It was like, uh, hey, they're, they're martyrs. Stephen was murdered uh, for the gospel. James was murdered for the gospel. Peter was murdered. Uh, we, we like to sanitize it by saying they were killed or, or, or they passed on, you know, but they were murdered. And so we wanted to, I wanted to take this in light. Of this, I want you to rather take this in light of this message, but I don't want you to leave here all discouraged, all right? Don't leave here discouraged. I want you to be encouraged today. And so uh, the, when we talk about um, your testimony t today, uh, it is, the word is martyreo. Uh, martyreo. Martyreo has to do, is, it comes from mart martus. It comes from martus. So if you are a witness and or have a testimony, it says the definition is to be a witness, uh, to testify. So that means that you and I are witnesses. When I was a boy, they used to sing a song, my soul is a witness. My soul is a witness. Anybody remember that song? There's two or three of you, right? I kind of hear some mumbling, but I can't tell where it's coming from. But my soul is a witness for my Lord. My soul is a witness for my Lord. I don't remember all the words. And so... You, it means to be a witness. It means to testify or to be evidence of. Because so you are evidence. You're, you're evidence. You're God's evidence of a changed life. You're God's evidence that Jesus is real. You're God's evidence. That's amazing, right? So it also could mean that you bear record. You bear record. You carry the record of God. You, you, you bear record. You have obtained or a good report, you have obtained an honest report, it means that. It may also can mean to be well reported of. So then there are people who know you say, no, that's a good dude, or, or she's wonderful, she's amazing. Um, and it also means to uh, obtain, to bear, to give, to obtain. So the goal of this message today is to encourage you to guard your testimony and strive to have God himself speak well of you. I want God himself to speak well of you. Now, I, I, I trust that you want that. Now, I want God to speak well of me. Remember when Jesus Christ was baptized in the River Jordan, that I, I like to exclaim it like this, that God was so elated, so happy, so full of joy that he, he just shouted out of heaven, that's amazing. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, Jesus, first time in human history that a man had lived 30 years without sinning. First time in human history there had been anybody like Jesus Christ. 
And so God shouted out of heaven. I don't, I don't, I'm not asking Father to shout out of heaven for me, but I want him to say, this is gone, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want him to say that. That's not robbery. I want him to say that, and so I strive to be righteous. This is what he, so we want to strive to have God speak well of us. It is also important that others speak well of you, thus recognizing that Christ is in you. Now, that's different than the Old Testament saints. Christ is now in you, and we seem to have less capacity for God than those who had God around them, outside them, than, those that, than we who have God within us. We act like we are incapacitated sometimes, and I, I hope you don't think I'm fussing at you, you know, because I'm not screaming. I may be loud, but I'm not screaming. <laughs> so, so, so the thing here is God, you have God within. Now, why am I saying that? You're going to get there in a minute. So with God within, the Bible says, us, says to us very clearly, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. A new type of humanity is what it's saying. Yeah. Old things have passed away. Not they crawled away and I'm, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. You are a new creation. A, a, a humanity that the Bible says very clearly has been created in Christ Jesus. Where is the point of your creation? It's not a garden. A perfect garden, yes. But it's not even a garden. It's not of the earth. It's of eternity. You were created in Christ Jesus. And Paul tells us very, very clearly that it's for good works. And he says to us that God, which God prepared beforehand, that you should, not possibly could, you should walk in them. Are you still with me? Come on, we are, we are an amazing people, a peculiar people. Uh, there has never been a people group like us. And sometimes we celebrate our natural people group status, and we're all crazy about that stuff. It's all rotten. All of our roots are rotten. They're steeped in sin. Are you still with me? And so today many scholars are questioning the morality of the church, and I think this is why I, I, I was moved by the Holy Spirit to talk about it. They question the morality of the church. Now, you know, if you've known me for a little while, I love everybody. I, I don't know anybody I don't love. Uh, there are some people I don't like their ways, but, but I love everybody. And, and so when I, when I make a statement like this, I love the intellectual and I love the non-intellectual. I love the academics and I love those who don't even know what academics mean. I love them all. But so... When I say something like many scholars are questioning the morality of the church, don't become defensive as a believer, whether you have a, a five, fifth grade education, a tenth grade education, or a PhD. Don't become uh, uh, defensive. And, well, what do they got to say? Well, they have some good things to say. And, I, and I've always been the kind of person who could recognize that this, this uh, scholar has something to say. They have something worth listening to. And, and there are people like that. So they are questioning the morality of the church. Well, why, should, should they do that? Or why should they do that? I, I offer to you they have seen some behavior that is not in accord with godliness. Amen. Are you all still with me? Amen. Some feel that the church has lost its moral compass. 
You know what that means? It means that the church is going in directions that are not true north or they are not toward God. We have to be a wise in this. All right? All right? Now, now uh, you know, when I used to preach like this, of course, I was a lot more volu- uh, uh, loud, a lot louder than I am now. And I would have to stop and apologize by saying, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. I told you all that story one time. And, and uh, somebody I'm very close to, and uh, she and I were talking one time, and, and she got a little loud. And I said to this particular person, you're angry. And, that, and she said to me, no, I'm just passionate. I said, I'll use my words against me. <laughs> so has the church lost its moral compass? Are they correct, those who say that? Is the church as effective now as in former times? I offer, these are questions I have, and I'm going to answer them. I hope to answer them in this message, and I'll try to do it quickly. Jesus says to us, and I'm just a Jesus person. When I read the Bible, I am so amazed with him. The only person, first person, only person in human history who has lived a sinless life. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm amazed at that. Because I remember when Pastor Stan said one time, he said, you know, sometimes I think Christians would be, a, a church would be a lot better off if we all walked into the church and said, I am so and so, I'm a sinner. You know, and so, so we have that sin nature. But, he, but God tells us he has done something for us that is amazing. It doesn't mean that we have the impossibility of sinning, but it means that is not our nature anymore. I, I came from the country. I, I grew up in the country, and I found that there's a huge difference between a sheep and a hog. It's not, it is not a, a, a sheep's nature to enjoy mud. Sheep will fall into mud, but they get up and shake themselves because they want to be clean. They have that nature. A hog loves to wallow in it. So, so let's, let's say the difference. So, so you say, well, everybody's saying, no, but maybe not like you. Maybe you're, the, maybe you're the, some people fall into it, as it were. You know, yeah, they played too close to the edge and they fell in it. But you just enjoy it. So there's the difference between a sheep and the pig or, let's say, the hog. Jesus Christ tells us how to comport ourselves, how to conduct our lives. And we must do it the way Jesus tells us. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your Good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your good works are your testimony and, and witness among people. So, so it's not just some isolated, you know, good works. Oh, I did this, I did that. It doesn't nullify bad behavior. Amen. And so we have to be, be, be aware that God wants more from us. The Lord Jesus is our testimony. So who is he in us and who is he to us? Now, now let's go to the Old Covenant and look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we'll find this amazing character in the Bible called David. Uh, I I heard a lot about David growing up. My dad loved to preach uh, using David as an example. He loved the character of David, our dad. I'm always taking ownership of everything. And so in 1 Samuel 18, 5, it says, So David went out 
wherever Saul sent him. And I think that's very important to note that David went out wherever Saul sent him. Now, now let's give you a little background quickly on David. David was a teenager, uh, a teenager who had gone to the battle to take some food to his brothers, his older brothers, and to uh, Saul. Uh, Jesse, his dad, had told him to go there and do that. And so when he got down there, there was a big giant called Goliath. And Goliath of the Philistines from Gath. Goliath was there threatening the armies of the Philistines, I mean the, the armies of Israel, telling them, come out, send me somebody who will fight me. Send me a man, send me a man. And so David's listening, and all the mighty men, Saul's mighty men, are afraid to go fight this man because everybody who has gone up against Goliath lost. And so David, this teenager, said, I'll fight him. And you, what you do is you think that's just a crazy teenager. You know, when, if you're in the battle, that was so crazy. So David, of course, went out, fought him, and defeated him with a sling. That's very important. And so when we say, so David went wherever Saul. So Saul conscripted him or drafted him into his army. And he says, so, when, uh, so David went out where? Wherever Saul sent him. You and I should go wherever God sends us. So wherever the Holy Spirit sends us and then thus leads us, we should go. But listen, and behave himself and behave wisely. And what did he do? Behave wisely. So as Christians in this crazy, chaotic time, we must go wherever the Holy Spirit is sending us, but we must behave wisely. You don't go out, well, God sent me. No, he didn't send you to act crazy. <laughs> You know, he doesn't send you there to make a bigger mess. He sent you so you would act wisely, comport yourself, conduct yourself wisely. Hallelujah, somebody. And Saul set him over the men of war. A, a young boy, teenager. Saul set him over the, the men of war. And he was accepted. Why? Because of his testimony. No matter what the mighty man did, David killed the giant. Well, you don't know about Dodo and this one. No, it doesn't matter whether he killed 300 people. It doesn't matter whether he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. It doesn't matter if he was holding the bean field. David killed the giant and all of y'all were scared of the giant. <laughs> your, your testimony will distinguish you. Your testimony will distinguish you. Have you ever seen people would say, to you, say, say to you, and I know some of you have had this testimony, that somebody says, there's something different about you. If they've never said that to you in your Christian life, just take inventory. Don't go to the bar. Take inventory. Are you still with me? Okay, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. They all loved David. Now, it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines. So David was fighting the arch enemies of Israel. He had come home from fighting. He says, the slaughter. They whipped him. They tore him up. Now, don't get all, you know, excited that you can now go and tear somebody up in the name of the Lord. Okay, this is giving you some understanding. You're, you tear them up spiritually by loving them and by comporting yourself as a believer. You don't go down. God is not letting you go and kill your enemy. All right? I mean, so don't start packing so you can kill your enemy. All right? 
Oh, so they were, as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, all of them. It wasn't contrived. All of them singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said. Now, before I tell you what they said in their song, I want to say this is not a less, uh, just deal with the women because they're always messing something up. That is not what this is about. <laughs> because a lot of sermons have been preached over there. The women should have kept quiet. No, no, no. All this was of God. So they were excited about that to have a David. They had a Saul. He was messing everything up. But now they have a David. And listen to this testimony. And this is what they were singing. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Wow. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. You know, no, no, no we, we want to jump on Saul. Saul has a lot to be blamed for. But I can understand Saul. You know, can you imagine, uh, you know, somebody said, Pastor preached a good sermon, but Pastor Tim. <laughs> I mean, th that would be challenging. <laughs> but that, you get the picture. And so you can see why it displeased Saul. So, so Saul is displeased, and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. It was true. It was true as far as, as in effect. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. He eyed him. I remember, the, the, you, know, the, the, you know, when I was a kid, we talked about these kinds of things, you know. You can't just eye people, you know, doing that. So that means he was watching David. You know, he had a jealousy in his heart. But David had a great testimony. I remember when I was a boy, we used to sing this song because I, I, I'm thinking about Jesus now. And it says, it was song which says, would say, Jesus, I'll never forget what you have done for me. You remember that song, anybody? Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I will never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never. And I'm sure that this is, is David's testimony because he brought him from under the hand of Saul. Now, let's look at 1 Samuel 21, and we'll understand this further. Because not only were they singing this testimony in Israel, they were singing it outside Israel. That, you know, it's one thing for us to sing our Zion song. Oh, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget, no, never. But when the world starts singing that, wow. When the world starts singing that, that's another matter. Now, now we are singing the world songs, but do they sing ours? Now listen, you're going to hear something in just a second here. Look at look, verse 10, 1 Samuel 21, 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now this is what David did. David was running because he had no safe place in Israel. He had, been, uh, he had uh, gotten the showbread from the priest um, and uh, uh, old Dueg was down there, an Edomite. 
uh, was there, and Dueg told Saul, I saw him down there, the priest, high priest gave him the bread, the show bread, and helped David escape from you, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, they went down, and Saul went down and told old Dueg to kill them all, and he killed them. Killed all the priests for helping David. Now, now here, so David is running because he has no safe place in Israel. It would be like saying that the church does not receive my testimony of Jesus. It would be like that. And then some of us cannot speak so freely because the church is so connected to the world, they think the world is more right than the church. That's right. So we can't, when we say things about God, they think that we're meddling. I've been preaching like this for 20 some odd years, but it didn't come, become controversial until somewhat recently. Oh, you're still with me. Come on, be with me. <laughs> And so, and so in verse 11, it says, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? They call, they're ascribing kingship to him. Is this not David, the king of the land, the king of the Israelites? Did they not sing to him to, um, did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? The enemy knows their song. The enemy knew their songs. That's amazing to me. Now, we sing the, the world songs so often, don't we? We like them, some of them. And I remember one, I, used, I even dubbed it a hymn. You know, I used to say, man, old hymn, when a man loves a woman, you know. Can't keep his mind on nothing else. You know? It's an old hymn. <laughs> but rather than us singing their songs, why not so live before God that they sing our songs. They are repeating our songs. Our songs are so effective that they have moved the enemy. That's what I'm looking for. And so David took those words to heart when he recognized that the enemy was, was repeating what was said about him. He feigned or pretended madness so that they wouldn't kill him. The testimony of David was that he was great but because of the fear, of his fear of the enemy, he acted contrary to his testimony. When you are out in the world and you're on your job or wherever you are, do you, don't answer me out loud, do you sometimes act contrary to who you really are? I can remember the challenge when I was working in the oil industry. I remember the challenge always working with these big, rough, grawly, grubby, not grubby, uh, Burly. <laughs> Some of them might be in this audience. <laughs> Those burly guys, you know, strong, rough. And sometimes it was threatening. And the Lord told me, be who you are. Amen. I was a little flicker, like, like a match light. I was, uh, I was almost afraid. But I, I said, make me bold. Act on the boldness you have. So I began to be bold. Maybe just a match light. And then after a while, a flashlight. And after a while, I think I was a bonfire. Why? Because I, I had to be true to my testimony. So many of us are not true to our testimony. What kind of testimony do you have? David did not compose this song. The dancing ladies composed it. But it belonged to David. It was David's story. It was his song. It was his testimony. I'm asking you, I'm actually imploring you to have a testimony, have a song that the world sings about you and your exploits. Amen. Later on, later on in the battle that Saul 
uh, was waging against uh, the Philistines. Uh, then later on, 1 Samuel 29 talks about that. When the, the, the kings of the Philistines were going against the lords, etc., the Philistines were going against Israel to fight them. Um, uh, David wanted to go down with them because they had given him protection from Saul. It would be a, sh uh, a shame to say that th there are some cases where we feel safer in the world than in the, ch the visible church. It would be a, a shame. And sometimes the visible church has been so concerned with outward things that they have forgotten the inner things. They have forgotten the things of God. And I want us to never forget. You know those, the song, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Have you forgotten? No, let's don't forget. Let's look at 1 Samuel 29. And uh, uh, they were, the, the, the lords of the Philistines were saying to Achish, the king of Gath, don't let David go with us to fight. Don't, we don't want David fighting our battles with us. Can you imagine, the, here's the world, and we are fighting the world's battles with the world. You know, we have been sort of taken captive, and we're fighting the world's battles, and they said, we don't want y'all. Maybe there'll come a day when the world gets what it wants, and they'll say, we don't want y'all. Then you and I will feel used, won't we? Is this not David, they said, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousand. Then Achish called David and said to him, surely, as the Lord lives, you have been, listen, this is an enemy. You have been upright. And, going, and you're going out and you're coming in with me and in the army is good in my sight. Can you, does the world say to you, you know, so and so, I don't agree with you, but man, you're, up, you're an upright person. I don't agree with your, your doctrine. I don't agree with what, the way you view uh, politics or social issues, but you're a stand-up guy. Have you ever, has it ever been said? This is amazing. David kept his testimony while in Gath, except for the fact he feigned madness because in those days it was superstitious to hurt a mad person. So it was, it was yeah. And so let's look at something else. So David behaved himself so wisely that his enemies spoke well of him. They had nothing of which to speak evil of him. We should have a godly testimony even among those whom we, uh, uh, with whom we disagree. We should have a godly testimony even among them and those who disagree with us. We should have a godly testimony. I, I can tell, just to use myself briefly for, as an example, I remember in, in, the, in the oil business, rough business, at, uh, and probably still is, and I remember hearing from people, I didn't hear it myself, that, that, that so often rough guys, roughly hewn guys, would say things that I never knew they were saying. I never knew that it, was, it had gotten out into, into our headquarters that I was praying for obstinate people, that I would grab them by the hand when they used foul language and just grab them by the hand and say, I told you I was going to pray for you if you did that. So you took 60 seconds, I'm going to take 60 seconds, and they're jerking, uh, really, sitting on... And I'm praying in the name of Jesus, blah, 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 blah. You know, you know, Lord, I don't know if this is a wayward servant of yours or he's just a backslider. I don't know if he's a backslider. I don't know if he's just wicked. But whatever he is, pray, pray that. I'm not saying you go out. I'm just saying I did that. I'm saying, but I didn't know that there would be a testimony about it. 
I didn't know that people were talking about it in the high tower. I didn't know. You must live godly every day of your life. Jesus is coming, and, and come on, you don't want to be lost. Jesus is coming, and you don't want to be lost. There was another song we sang when I was a, a, a kid. It, it said, um, yes, I don't want to be lost. That was the same one. Yeah, my soul is a witness for my Lord. And then the other one, I don't want to be lost when Jesus comes. Yes, I don't want to be lost when Jesus comes. So I think this is the key. Uh, I don't want to be lost. And then the other one is, my soul is a witness. It's the same song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was taking directions from my director here. Okay, so we must strive to live a life pleasing to our Heavenly Father. So let's talk about, <laughs> I'm telling you, be careful taking directions. I was on a, on a roll. Yeah. So testimonies, testimonies of pleasing God. Let's look at testimonies of pleasing God. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's, that's what 1 Kings 15.5 says. And had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So what he's saying is, yeah, David did other things. He made other mistakes. But he says, when he went into Bathsheba, his captain's wife impregnated her. Then God said, that's it, buddy. So, so, so David pleased the Lord. He says, that's it, buddy. The sword will never depart from your house. God judged him. David went before God and, and repented and repented and repented. And, and, and he said, I'm, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I did that. You know, uh, you know, cleanse me. Purge me. You know, forgive my iniquities. I've sinned against you. And David so full-heartedly went before God that God forgave him. But still, the sword did not depart from his house. Are you still with me? So David's testimony is... He said that he pleased God in everything except that. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, Hebrews 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away. This is mind-blowing. So that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Now listen. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That scripture drives me. He pleased God. He had a testimony that was pleasing to God. God testified of David and of, um, rather of Enoch, you please me. And he showed it by taking him to heaven. But then he says in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must what? Believe he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you a diligent seeker? Are you a diligent seeker? This is amazing. And so in John chapter 8, 29, Jesus tells us in John 8, 29, he says, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. What? For I... Always do those things that, which please him. I do those things that please him. I please God. I live, I live every day pleasing God. I don't live daily pleasing myself. It, though you may love your husband, you should not live every day pleasing your husband first. You please God first, then husband. Please wife first. I mean husband, God first. 
Nah. Nah. You please. God first. Now every wife who's demanding that you plead her first, we're going to deal with her. You, you please God first, then your wife. Some of you guys are, are laughing, but I think some of you want to please her first. All right. So we, uh, we understand here that faith pleases God. Because you can't even come to God unless you have faith. And you cannot seek him without faith. You have to believe, the Bible says, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. There are believers. They're, they're, they're baby believers. But there are believers who will say things like, uh, I, I was seeking God, but he didn't do what I want him to do. And, and I just got to do something. I've heard that. No, keep believing God. So, this, again, many scholars are questioning the morality of the church. Some feel that the church has lost its moral compass. I ask you this. I, th I know they're wrong because the true church of Jesus Christ stands. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's the true church. However, have some of us abandoned the work of God's kingdom for worldly pursuits? Have you really? I know you'll say to me right now, you will even probably try to swear. You'll say, no, I have not. But what kind of testimony do you have? among the world? What kind of life have you really lived? Have you lived a, li a life that, okay, I'll do this or that as long as such and such happens, but if it doesn't, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Let, let me read as I close in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, he said, he asked, who do men say that I the son of man am? Now listen to what they said. So it was out there in the public sphere. For, verse 14. So they said, some say that John the Baptist. They were saying, he would, some say, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. This man is so powerful. He's John the Baptist. Why? John the Baptist was amazing. He was brave. He defied the king, Herod. He rebuked him for, for, for marrying his brother's wife. This shouldn't be. John the Baptist defied the Pharisees, the ruling body, the Sanhedrin. He refied them. When they came out to, to be a spectator of the baptism, he said, Who, you brood of vipers? Can you imagine a preacher doing that today? Brood of vipers? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Wow. He said, That's John the Baptist. He's so powerful. Then they said, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite. I love 1 Kings 17. I got it. Verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite. He goes before Ahab the king. Listen, Ahab was married to Jezebel. She was a bad girl. You know, when Ahab came home one day, was sick, 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 all sick, moping. She said, what's wrong, babe? He, he said, uh, I want, uh, was it Nahor's vineyard? Yeah. I want his vineyard, Nahor's vineyard. And he said, if he won't sell it to him. He says, don't worry about that. You want that thing? I'll get it for you. <laughs> and she killed him. She killed the owner of the vineyard. She said, hey, babe, that's your vineyard. Go take it. You know, and so, oh, Elijah, the fishback, he's talking to this guy. He says, it will not rain except at my word. There will not be dew or moisture on this land except at my word. He told him that. He says, this man's like Elijah. 
That's what he was saying. Or, or others, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, cried and told Israel the truth no matter what. Or one of the prophets like Isaiah who had a telescope, as it were. It seems like he could just see into the, the future. Had a big screen TV with everything pay, played out on it. He said, one of those. So what was the world saying? They were saying things about Jesus. His testimony was intact. What about your testimony? But then he, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to Peter, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And this is what I want to leave with. Then Jesus knew when Peter said those words, that God the Father had been talking to him. If God is not informing you, you don't let God inform you. The world system will inform you. We are more in solidarity with worldly issues and views than we are the biblical edict. As a, the church of Jesus worldwide, I'm talking about worldwide, we have to do better. In this story, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. How many of us have had our knowledge of God informed by the world and what they're doing? But he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I want words that are above flesh and blood. I don't want flesh and blood to tell me what my doctrine ought to be, what my theology ought to be. I don't consult with flesh and blood. I consult with God on my knees. That's what we all should be doing. But my Father in heaven... And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The power of your testimony is indispensable. Never lose it. Never yield. Never give up. For Christ you live, and for Christ you're willing to die. Let that be your testimony. In Jesus' name. Thank you, sister.